uh, to make Jesus the bread of life, uh, the bread of life in all of our lives, right? Now think about that, the bread of life. Uh, and we want to really have that understanding of the bread of life. Um, you know, New Year's is a time where we do make resolutions, and we have resolutions often concerning what we eat or drink, right? So a lot of you say, I'm going to eat healthier, I'm going to eat less red meat, I'm going to eat less carbs, less sugars, less salt, or some of us say, oh man, I'm going to drink less of this, drink less caffeine or less alcohol or more water. And a lot of it, it has to do with the things that we eat. And you know, today I want for us as a church to think about having Jesus as the bread of life and make that our 2020 uh, resolution that we will now think of him in this way and we will go to him this way you know the the passage that we read here is a section of a whole larger section of scripture and it talks about Jesus' teaching and he calls himself the bread of life he keeps saying he's the bread the bread from heaven the bread of life and he says it over and over and over he keeps talking about that and so uh, we got to ask, why does he talk about the bread? And today we were, we're going to look at what does that mean, the bread of life? Why does he talk about that? And then two practical implications, two practical things that has to do with the bread of life, right? Um, why bread? Now, you remember a few weeks ago we went over this, but in the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds bread to the, the masses, the tens of thousands of people, right? The Bible talks about 5,000 men now counting the women and children, 12 baskets of leftovers of bread, and now the bread has been eaten. And this is the very next day. And after they've tasted the bread, it's interesting that they were so excited about the bread that the people at the end of that story, in the beginning of chapter 6, they wanted to crown him king right then and there. They were like, if he can make us bread like this, and we could have bread, and we could have it in abundance, we want him to be our king. Right? This is kind of how we vote today, and the le leader that we have, boy, if they could put more money in my pocket, give me a better job, I want that person to be a leader. And that's how they view Jesus. They view Jesus as the one who grants their wishes. Some of us still, and a lot of churches today in America and around the world, still think of Jesus simply as that, the one who will give me some bread, the one who will give me something good. And if he gives me something good, I'll do whatever the formula is. And so the prosperity teachers of today and a lot of churches today will have this formula. Boy, if you do good, God will give you something better. Jesus, you know, this is interesting because this is all a part of the sign. Uh, he has the, the Gospel of John is a list of seven signs. He does different signs. Remember, it started with uh, turning water into wine was the first sign. And it kept going down the list, right? Healing of the official son healing the paralytic, feeding the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, healing the blind man, and then raising Lazarus from the dead. And so those are the seven signs that we see here. And so this wasn't one of the signs, but what people did was they took the sign and they said that's the goal, that's what Jesus came for, they thought. Uh, you think about a sign, the purpose of a sign. All of you coming here, you saw the purpose of the signs uh, merge you know, 57 south, 91 east, and it helps you to go. The purpose of the sign is not simply to go to the sign and look at the sign, right? None of us go to a traffic sign and just look at it and say, wow, what a beautiful sign. We look at the sign and it says, go this way and go that way, and it leads us somewhere else. That's what signs do. It leads us somewhere else. And so they thought that the sign was 
what Jesus came for. Look at verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Saying, so you're coming to me, Jesus is saying, because you had bread and you just wanted more bread. You're not coming to me because you want me. So the point of the bread was to say, hey, Jesus is the bread. Now, why does he use bread as this illustration here? Why does he use bread to talk about himself? Um, Bread is very important, especially back in the day. They look at bread very differently than how we do. Today, we look at it as as an option, right? And uh, for some, they say, I can't eat bread. It has carbs and so on. But bread was their daily necessity. They had to have bread. And they would now think about the whole day and they say, I have to get bread at the right time. I have to make sure I have enough for my family for the week. And bread was now very valuable because sometimes the people in those days, most of them lived in perpetual hunger. So it was like that one piece of bread, hopefully, that they can get. Secondly, bread was something that satisfied them. You know, something tastes good when you're hungry. And when you're truly hungry and you can eat something, boy, something that might have been mediocre just tastes that much better. And so they would eat bread when they are very hungry. And so when Jesus gives them bread, it was to show them, hey, this is something that will satisfy not just your stomach, but your soul, that Jesus Christ himself is the bread. So he's pointing to himself that he himself is the bread. People are mistaken and they think, I just want the physical bread. I just want him. And he teaches them that he himself is the main goal. So we want this in 2020 for us to find our complete satisfaction, the desires of our soul, our ultimate hope to come in Christ. We want him to be your bread. We want him to fulfill your necessities. We want him to now be the thing that you think about all the time. Uh, It's interesting. In chapter 6, He has this teaching, you know, from verse 26 and on. There's a long teaching about the bread of life. We didn't read all of it. But in that section, he emphasizes that he himself is the bread. And four times we see he uses this phrase, truly, truly. The old old English, verily, verily, or truly, truly. In the original language, it is amen, amen. So certain church cultures and traditions you know, there's often people that will respond with an amen, right? They'll preach something, and they say, wow, that was good, amen. When we say a prayer, usually people respond, amen. Truly, truly. Right? At our church, we don't really respond with amen, right? We do it once a year. When Pastor Jasper Bacon comes from Mississippi, and he preaches, and he forces us and teaches us, and it is awkward, and we say, okay, amen. Preach it, brother. You know, like, it's, it's a little awkward. When Pastor Sam preaches, he, he uses amen, amen, and there's silence, right? Because we're not used to it. I say it, but I say quietly, amen, amen, Pastor. That was good. I say it, right? Um, but that's what he's saying. It is the, the times, the four times he uses that phrase, all of it, he's pointing to himself as the bread of life. So the people all come saying, where's the bread? Where's the fish? And there he is. He's the one who gave us all this. Can we get all this? Can we make you king? He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me tell you something. Amen, amen. Let me tell you who I am. And so in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, 
You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill. Right? The bread that endures, verse 27, to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Verse 32 again, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 53, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. So four times emphatically, four times he's saying, hey, listen up, amen, amen. It's not me here just giving you your wishes. You're not just coming for the gifts. You need me, he is saying. You need the bread of life. It will satisfy not just your stomachs, but your souls, give you eternal life. And he gets that point across. I don't know if the people heard it. Often when you get a crowd together, they hear what they want to hear. They translate it to whatever they want. They wanted a king that would give them much bread. They wanted a king that would give them many things. But here is one that came to give of himself. So 2020, we want to say, gosh, I want to go to him and he himself be the satisfaction of my soul, the desires of my heart. This hits us in two ways. There's two practical implications I want to highlight. One is material things and our time. Material things and time. How we view those two things, it hits us. Um, if Jesus Christ is the bread of life, it affects now the material things in our life. You think about this. Um, he tells us in verse 27, right? Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. That little phrase, do not work for the food that perishes. Just think and pause for a moment. He's not saying don't work. But he says don't work for these things. And I think about it. Why, why do you work so hard? Why do we work so hard? Do not work just to go and get some things. What does he say about the things here? Things that perish. Things that rust. Moth and thieves come and steal and destroy. The temporal things. Don't just go after this. It's interesting, that little word, do not work. Work. Uh, ergozomai, right, is the original word. It's a fancy word. It's not a casual work. There's other Greek words. Uh, the, one of the commentators I read would say, oh, you could have, they could have used a work like to do, a word like to do, a work like to, to practice. These are kind of casual, simpler words. But this word to work, that's translated work here, it means to commit, to labor. He says, don't commit and don't say, man, all of my studies is so that I can buy a house. And I can buy a car, and that is the goal of my life. Because the moment you get there, you say, boy, is this it. Jesus tells us if he's the bread of life, all of a sudden the way you view material things changes. You say, oh, these are just material things. Uh, one commentator talks about the crowd that gathered around Jesus at this time. At that time, he says, these people were crass materialists. All they wanted was the stuff. Jesus, if you would give me more bread and more fish, I'm just happy. And that's all they wanted was the material things. And Jesus keeps saying, truly, truly, I am the bread of life. You are spiritual people. Uh, Rodney Clapp, a sociologist, talks about our day and age and the problem that we face with capitalism and consumerism, right? Unique 
he says, unique to modern capitalism and consumerism are the idealization and constant encouragement of insatiability and the deification of dissatisfaction. We're making this dissatisfaction and now buying the newest and latest now a god in our lives. Deification of dissatisfaction. G.K. Chesterton said it so simply and so well. There are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Uh, Albert Hsu has a little book about the suburban Christian. A little book, and I was rereading this, and he talks about some stats. He says, talks about historians say that you can tell what a culture valued by studying its architecture. So you go to certain places, there's still coliseums. Pyramids, cathedrals, monuments, skyscrapers today, they all reflect ideal visions of what is most treasured in that culture. And he says in today's uh, culture, in suburban culture today, the largest and most valuable real estate properties in modern society are shopping malls. Right? You think about that. It's the shopping mall. And so you go to certain parts of Europe, and they'll have the steeple, and they'll have the church and the cathedrals, and you go to visit. It tells you, boy, during those, that era, that was the center of the town. And nowadays, where we live now, it is the mall, it is the shopping that is the center of our society. You know, we have to be also very careful. And I'm not saying that you now all of a sudden can't shop, or some of you are going to go to the mall after. You can go to the mall, all right? And then we say, oh my gosh, I ran into a church member at the mall today. I should have waited until tomorrow. You know, I better drive to South Coast. Hopefully I don't run. You know, no, you can go to the mall. You can shop. This isn't legalism on don't shop and don't do this. But this is a warning and a thought that we ought to be a little more careful. We ought to be distinguished from our non-Christian friends. They value the things of this world because someone says it's important. You think about all your favorite name brands. I'm not going to point any of them out. All of the name brands, and somehow if we have it, we feel like we're a little better, a little prettier, a little sportier, a little more athletic. If I wear this from this store, if I carry this from this place, if I drive this that's made at this place, feel like I'm a little bit better and more attractive. It, it hits on our identity. And we have to be also very careful as people whose identity and value comes from Christ, that it doesn't come from the external things we could put on we could sit in or we could live in. Kierkegaard has this short parable um, that I heard. And the parable is a thief breaks into an old jewelry store. And in this jewelry store, they have antiques and they have the best of diamonds and the jewels and necklaces and earrings and rings and all these beautiful jewelry. And some of them obviously are priceless. They're valued 10, 100 times more than other pieces because of what they represent. And the thief goes in, but he does something very peculiar. He goes in, and he doesn't take anything, but what he does is he reshuffles everything. And he takes the price tags off of every piece of jewelry, and he now attaches it on a different piece of jewelry. And when the people come in the next day, they see all of this, and they don't know which one is valuable. Someone had said, this is valuable. These group of people have said, that might be more valuable. And all of a sudden, when you take the price tag and you shuffle it around, it's just metals and rocks. And so we have to be also very careful uh, that the consumption and the materialism around us doesn't become our identity and meaning. You know, um, if you're into uh, 
award shows, they have the red carpet, and the reporters will get in the face of the actresses. And they all, what do they say? Oh, so-and-so, you look great. Who are you wearing? Right? Which is kind of a funny statement. Who are you wearing? And they all throw out some name, right? Some name from France somewhere. And they, wow, oh, wow. Right? I'm, I'm, you know, no one says Old Navy, right? Uh, you know, they, <laughs> the Target, you know, or the clearance section, Old Navy. Um, not where, but who. It identifies who they are, right? I remember when I was in high school, I had an aunt visit us from Korea, right? Back in high school in the 80s, products from Korea were not things that you want them to bring. You just wanted to give you some money. But she brought us, she said, I have all these gifts for you. We were pretty excited. But in high school, imagine, high schoolers are in here, all of us are conscious of this. Think of it, like a 16-year-old, and now she opens up her suitcase, and she brings, pulls out three pairs of uh, tennis shoes. She goes, I brought these for you. These are the best ones made in Korea. It was like uh, white, leather, it's all leather. I didn't care if it was all leather. I didn't care what kind of cow. I was like, what brand is that? I said, like, what brand is that? Is that? And back then it was either Reebok, Adidas, right? Run DMC, Adidas, Reebok, Nike. And she goes, no, these are different brands. It's a Korean brand. Le Caf. I said, Le what? She said, Le Caf. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Heck, that, that's social suicide. No, 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 no. I can't wear it. Are you, I can't wear Le Caf. And, you know, my parents were like, say thank you, put it on. Oh, no, I'm just jump off a bridge. I can't wear this to school. And then we're trying it on. We're trying it on. By the grace of God, she bought size eight and a halves. I wore 11. I said, oh, I said, oh my gosh, it doesn't fit. I was like, oh, I was like, auntie, oh, I'm so, oh, it doesn't fit. My younger brother tried it on. He wears a size 10, and she bought him an eight and a half. Oh, auntie, it doesn't fit. Oh, man, oh. My older brother, his foot is eight and a half, so he tries it on. <laughs> it's perfect. Tries it on, it fit him perfect. Everyone's face lit up. He was, you know, uh, he was about to faint. And we said, well, he could just wear this for the next three years. And then we gave it to him. And I'm not kidding. Uh, it all went to him. I don't know if he wore it. He did wear it at times because uh, we did poke fun at him, as a brother should. Oh, look at those shoes, you know. Le Caf. Um, if you're wearing Le Caf now, it's probably cool now, right? This is in the 80s. So, uh. But you were created for some. You were not created. John Piper says this. You were not created for something but for someone. And the next time you think, boy, if I can have this, if I could have this brand, if I could wear this, drive that, have this. And if this year, 2020, you are working so hard and you've got some material things that you're striving for, pause and think, it's not just this bread that rots that I want. Because everything we possess will one day end up in the junkyard. Everything will end up in the junkyard in this way. But it is about him. So if I can desire and find a deep satisfaction, I can get some new things, and that's nice. I could appreciate it. I can get some, you know, some things, but I can even lose it. It can be stolen. It could be taken away. It could break. And we're not so easily discouraged. Because what I possess, what I have, is the bread of life in this way. Uh, secondly, so the things matter. If the bread of life is Christ, our view of earthly things and our view of time changes. We have to live in view of eternity because the bread of life gives us eternal life. 
So don't be short-sighted. Don't just make resolutions for 2020, but it's for eternity. Don't just live your life as if everything matters here and now. So some of you will face disappointments and failures. Don't think that it's not the end of the world. This is not it. It will continue. Jesus tells us here, verse 48, truly, truly, I, 47 rather, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. He's talking about eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He said, you have eternal life. Don't act as if only thing that matters is the here and now. I remember um, in my sophomore year in college, I was out on campus. And I was just telling my daughters this story. And they're looking at me like kind of shaking their head. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it, right? I was taking the psychology, I had a psychology test that was, I thought was gonna be on Thursday. On Wednesday, I was on campus. I had, so now I'm in my mind, oh, I got a full 24 hours to prepare for this final. And I'm on campus having a cup of coffee and I'm studying. I run into my friend who's in that psychology class. Hey, good to see you, man. I was like, hey, getting ready for that final? And he says the words that uh, made my stomach just drop. He goes, what final? I go, you know, the psychology final. He goes, you mean the one I just, we just finished that right now. And my stomach just dropped. And I was like, no, I said, come on, man. You know, don't be funny. I was like, you know, the one that's tomorrow. Because at the beginning of the quarter, I had written all the dates in, and for some reason, I wrote it in wrong. I said, it's tomorrow, tomorrow 9 a.m. He goes, I just got done. We just got done. What are you talking about? And I remember running full speed to my TA and coffee, whatever, and I was in a panic mode. And I was, I was like begging, you have to let me finish this final. But at that time, I thought, if I don't finish this final, I'm not going to graduate. If I don't graduate, I'll become homeless and I'll die. And life is over. Like, I mean, I, I, and, you know, my parents have disowned me. It's over. And now it's a... a by the way, she, she let me take the test. I, I did okay. <laughs> I could have used the extra 24 hours. I passed. And he goes, go ahead, just take it. I'm like, oh, thank you. And I, you know, take it. But in hindsight, now it's a, it's a funny story. It's, like, it's a story. It wasn't a big deal. It didn't affect my life. It didn't change my life. What happens is when we think, oh, man, my life is eternal. All of a sudden, the disappointments of today, it doesn't rock us like it does the people that are out in the world are non-Christian counterparts. Because they're just living for the weekend. They're just living for the paycheck. They're just living for my job, my school. And this is all that defines me. But if I could just back up a moment and say, boy, I'm living in eternity. This is a little blip, a little disappointment, or even a joy or something good. It's not like, boy, I won something. I, I got something. It's not like I got accepted to something. Like, that changes life that much. So for a lot of you baseball fans, right? Baseball has 162 regular season games. 162. So most of it, you watch it. You don't really care. Week one, eh, the Dodgers lose. Oh, week one, you know, Angels, you know, lose. And you say, that doesn't really. You say, oh, well. You don't panic and start calling, we need to fire the manager. <laughs> we need a new pitcher. We need a new stadium. I mean, we need to change everything because we've just lost. We say, oh, it's, we, we lost one game. There's 162 games. We just lost one game. But sometimes we act as if, boy, this is it. 
And we think, boy, this is how foolish would it be for them to cry at the end of a loss and the week one of the game, they're crying and they're panicking. No. They say, we got 162 games. We'll continue. Life will go on. We need to live in view of eternity in this way. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So when you go to work tomorrow, you work as someone that has an eternity ahead of you. As you go back to school, you study hard, you do well, you do your best. But you're a Christian. Your identity is not based on your merit here on earth. It's based on what Christ has done for you. As you have the winds and the highs and the lows and the hardships, the peaks and the valleys that 2020 will bring, it's okay because your life is found in Christ and it is set and you could trust in him. Johnny Erickson Tata, who had fallen as a teenager and paralyzed from the neck down from a swimming diving accident. She wrote a book years back, uh, Heaven, Your Real Home. She says, when a Christian realizes his or her citizenship in heaven, he begins acting as a responsible citizen of earth. He invests wisely in relationships because he knows they're eternal. His conversations, goals, and motives become pure and honest because he realizes these will have a bearing on everlasting reward. He gives generously of time, money, talent because he's laying up treasure for eternity. He spreads the good news of Christ because he longs to fill heaven's ranks with his friends and neighbors. He's saying that, she's saying that uh, having an eternal life changes how we live today. And so today we come together. Right? We got junior hires, we got high schoolers, college, and up. All of us, you're under some kind of pressure. And the world around you keeps saying, boy, if, but if you can get this, and if you can have this, and we're kind of like the people in the crowd who came to Jesus, if I can just get more bread, if I can get my basket filled with bread, boy, life would be pretty good. Yeah, it'll be pretty good for a little bit, a week. But Jesus is saying, don't, don't just get caught up at the sign. Come to me. He is the bread of life. Come and eat of me. I am the bread of life, and it is eternal. It is valuable. And we go to him. And so this new year, as we are able to start, I want to ask you to pause and think. As you think about before you want to buy something or covet something, or before you get so worked up about something that just happened, think, my citizenship is in heaven. I am partaking in the bread of life. I am with Christ. He's the bread. He satisfies not just my stomach, but my whole being. So all of a sudden, life changes. And there is joy, hope, peace. And all the things become byproducts of now living with him in this way. In a moment, Pastor Sam is going to lead us in a time of communion. We're going to take communion. He'll guide you on that. But this is a time and an opportunity for us to remember what Christ has done for us. This is symbolic of what was now given by Jesus Christ, and he tells us to do it in remembrance.
And I pray that it would be a meaningful time. It would be a time that uh, you come and say, I commit my life to you, Jesus Christ. You gave your body, you shed your blood. I want to commit my life to you. My value, my goals, my dreams are all centered around you. You are the only one great enough for me to live for and find meaning in. And so this is my prayer for us, that we would partake in this and we would live in the way that he would want us to live. A blessed life with the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, so we remember you as the bread of life and we are grateful. You are the bread itself. It's not the, the things you give to us, God. You give us so many good things in life. You give us so many blessings. All, everything we have and own is from you. And we thank you. But Lord, what's greater and more important is you yourself. You're the answer. You satisfy our hunger. You satisfy that longing for meaning. Uh, when we overcome a mountain and we, we look for the next thing to climb, Lord, you are the one that we want to climb. So, Lord, uh, we ask that you help us to live in this way. Help us, Lord, to be freed from the grip of materialism. God, where we live, in Orange County, Lord, everyone is into the nicest, newest things. It's all around us at school and at work and in our, in our feeds and everywhere. God, help us to not crave those things so much or find meaning in that. Help us, Lord, to view time, to understand that we are eternal beings. It's not just about my four years in school. It's not just about this career or job or this stage. But I'm an eternal person because of what I have in you. So God, help us to remember that. And I ask your blessing upon your church, Lord God. Um, help us uh, to go to you this year. We pray in Jesus' name.